You're listening to Exploring Boys Education, a monthly podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition, in which we examine current issues affecting boys, teachers of boys, and boys' schools. I am Bruce Collins. In our most recent IBSC Research in Boys School series, hosted by Crescent School in Toronto, Canada, co-presenter Sandra Boys reminded us of the need to prepare boys for an uncertain future. The pandemic, as we all know, served as a powerful reminder of the fact that we live in an increasingly complex world. A 2021 report from UNESCO identified four trends impacting our future. We're a planet in peril, the advancement and challenges of digital technology, democratic backsliding and growing polarization, and the uncertain future of work. Educators across the globe are being forced to consider how to adapt their practice in order to equip their students with the knowledge, skills, and character strengths they need to address these daunting challenges. And not surprisingly, we turn to research to inform our work and support us as we create the curriculum and culture to do this well. In this episode, we speak with Hannah Fox and Charles Bailey from Harrow School about how they prepare boys for an uncertain future. But before we do so, IBSC Executive Director Tom Batty joins me again for the IBSC Newsreel. Thank you, Bruce, and welcome everyone to another episode of Exploring Boys Education. Across all regions, IBSC schools are now in full flow and we seek to connect, support and empower teachers as they open boys' minds to the beauty of their subjects, the inherent dignity of each person and how they might best grow to serve a greater good. With this in mind, I'd like to use this month's newsreel to highlight some upcoming programmes. Firstly, three online classes that start on the 17th of October. The first of these, Boys and Belonging, looks at the diversity, equity, inclusion and positive masculinity. The second is Single Gender Education, a course for teachers new to boys' schools. And the third of these, The Tech Solution, creating healthy habits for boys growing up in a digital world. Registration for these classes remains open until the 19th of October, but be sure to sign up soon. Second on my preview are the upcoming IBSC Ideas Labs. Starting on the 20th of October, the IBSC Ideas Lab Professional Conversations for Women in Boys Schools is the first of these in this grouping. It's followed on October the 31st by the IBSC Ideas Lab Professional Conversations for Heads of Boys Schools in North America. And then on the 1st of November, the Ideas Lab Professional Conversations for Heads and Assistant Heads of Middle Schools. I note to Directors of Professional Development They will shortly be releasing November dates for an Ideas Lab cohort targeting your work. In encouraging you to join the Ideas Lab conversations, I remind again that spaces in these are limited. In other words, getting quick. My third and final part of the preview is for the fifth IBSC Research in Boys School series. 
This will be hosted on IBSC Shorts from the 14th to the 21st of November, when faculty at Westlake Boys High School in New Zealand will share important insight on how they embrace inclusive education at a boys' school. For these professional development opportunities and all other resources relevant to your work in a boys' school, please visit www.theibsc.org. Now, back to you, Bruce. I look forward to your conversation with Charles Bailey and Hannah Fox up on the hill at Harrow School in the UK as you explore with them how they have redesigned their curriculum to prepare boys for the world in these times. Many thanks, Charles and Hannah, for sharing the fruits of the hard work of all at Harrow and contributing to our shared understanding of educating boys. So wonderful to be joined today on Exploring Boys Education. We have with us Hannah Fox and Charles Bailey. Hannah is the Academic and Universities Director and Charles is the Director of Studies at Harrow School in the UK, a school I was privileged to visit just before the pandemic started. And what a beautiful campus and uh, sort of lovely um, arrangement you have, similar to Eton, I think part of the town, and you really get that sense that it's a lively place. I actually first heard Charles and Hannah speaking about preparing boys to be real world ready at the 2022 IBSC Annual Conference, which was in Dallas, in Texas, at St. Mark's School of Texas, which seems a lifetime away now. Um, but I just know I, I really enjoyed being in your session, Hannah and Charles, and I know there were so many others who really appreciated what you shared here. So wanted to invite you to share with the wider audience. So welcome to Exploring Boys Education. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's good to be here. Thank you. So before we dive into this topic, Charles, uh, for those people who haven't visited Harrow before, maybe let's start there. Give us a little bit of context about what Harrow School is about and um, what is unique and amazing about um, a boys' school that many of us look up to. Mm. Um, yeah, well, so as we're speaking now, looking out the, the window uh, from the office, and it's an uncharacteristically very bright autumnal uh, London afternoon, um, picturesque scene looking out um, across some of the, the campus here. Um, we're an all boys boarding school in northwest London, so we're about 10 miles um, as the crow flies from central London. Uh, we're one of only three all boys, all boarding schools left in the UK now. Um, boys come here when they're 13 and they stay with us until they're 18. So they're only here for five years, but they're five very formative years for those boys. At the moment, we're actually currently celebrating the school's 450th anniversary. So it's um, exactly 450 years on from Queen Elizabeth I granting the school a royal charter in 1572. So there's been lots of great celebrations here at the school. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, carol services and a big school songs event at the Royal Albert Hall uh, later on this term. Um, there are 800 boys or just over 800 boys at the school and they, they all live with us um, here in 12 different boarding houses across the school. And as you suggested, Bruce, we're actually in, uh, we're set in a small suburban town here on the outskirts of London. They describe Harrow the Hill along with Hampstead as one of the sort of remaining villages in the London boroughs of Harrow. And as such, boys walk to and from their 
lessons in a living, breathing town. So it's a bit, there's a bit of a university campus feel to the school. Um, how would we characterize Harrow? I think character education is key to what we do at the school. Uh, we do really believe in well-rounded education, um, but we are selectively um, academic as well. Um, we have a rich history of educating future leaders. Um, we've had seven British prime ministers go through the school, uh, most notably Winston Churchill. But although the school does have this rich history, um, we do very much focus on ways in which we can continue to innovate um, and lead in this important um, boys' school sector. Um, so it's great to be here. And that's a little bit about Harris School. Well, 450 years is not a small milestone. <laughs> Hannah, I want to turn to you. Um, your role or your title is officially Academic and Universities Director. Uh, what exactly does that entail? Oh, thanks. Um, well, I guess as Bruce, as the title suggests, there are two strands to the role. Um, one's been responsible for the day-to-day -day academic running of the school. Um, quite a few decidedly unglamorous jobs. <laughs> um, ensuring the smooth running of uh, reporting cycles, internal exams, um, choices boys make at GCSE and A-level, um, timetabling implications from that. Um, and then the other side of my job is overseeing the university's provision. Um, and we've got a very strong university's provision here at Harrow. And um, I line manage those responsible for UK universities and Oxbridge and North American universities and also ahead of careers. Um, and then maybe another nice aspect of my role is that I oversee the new teachers who, who join us here at Harrow. So those may be undertaking a teacher training qualification or a PDC or getting their qualified teacher status. Um, so it's a wonderfully wide ranging and exciting role where I get to deal with um, boys across all the year groups and parents and then the whole staff room. But also, I think, I mean, related to what we're talking about today, so much to do with the future of boys and what they will be doing beyond Harrow. Um, so excited to hear from you in a bit. Uh, Charles, back to you. You're the Director of Studies. Is that closely related to sort of Hannah's role and what she does? And, and, and what exactly keeps you busy all day amongst probably a host of other responsibilities too? We, uh, we, we actually share a floor. Um, so Anna and I are in offices um, opposite one another. And although our jobs um, are, are separate, um, the two of us basically basically work on, on everything uh, pretty interchangeably. Um, as the director of studies, I'm, I'm primarily responsible for teaching and learning in the school and, and qualities of teach, uh, the quality of teaching and learning um, and more generally academic strategy. Day to day, what, what does that look like? Well, I, I line manage our heads of departments, so the, the different heads of academic um, subjects, uh, and I'm responsible for the school's professional development programme. Um, my favourite part of the job is, is teaching. Um, I don't get to do a huge amount of teaching um, anymore, but I, I do teach uh, theology and philosophy um, from, from time to time. And I also uh, coach some sport at the school as well. Um, so, yeah, it does keep you busy, but it's, it's good fun. Well, as I said before, wonderful to be talking to the two of you and, and the expertise that you are going to share with us. I'm, I'm really excited about and so maybe we can start with this question. Um, as we think about the future of work um, and the process of education as boys come through our schools, particularly in these senior years, their high school years, Hannah, why would you say it is important for boys' schools to be mindful 
of the skills that boys will need as they leave school, as, as the future of work or the uncertainty of, of the working environment um, in this day and age? Why, why is it so important for us to be aware of those things? Mm. Well, I suppose the role of um, any educator should be not just to ensure that our boys are in a great place to fulfil their more immediate higher education goals, those universities that I've been talking about just before, but also they've got to think beyond those three or four years um, and we have to make sure we then equip them for the workplace and the challenges of this changing world we we hear about. And um, Charles has said that he teaches um, theology and philosophy. Well, um, I'm, I'm a classics teacher, so with my latin hat on um the root of education is of course is a duco which means to draw or or guide out and we've just got to realize that responsibility we have with with our boys that we're 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 preparing them for a long future not just the short-term universities um and i suppose we have to be aware that the changing world means we don't have these rigid career pathways um our boys have to have a flexible and adaptable mindset skill set and I suppose the other thing from what you've just said in in, in the question you obviously talking about boys as an IBSC podcast that there's the issue of being a single sex school so whilst like all boys schools we believe that the single sex education allows us to to tailor our educational provision better for adolescent boys we equally acknowledge we've got to ensure that they can communicate very well with everybody regardless of uh, of gender and can play a really positive part in society. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think as part of this conversation, and this is what really interested me as as I sat in your workshop in Dallas, Charles, was the desire of Harrow to future-proof the curriculum. I think those were the, the terms you used to ensure that every boy leaves your school ready to, as you've mentioned now, Hannah, contribute to society, to thrive in a competitive job market to live out the values that they've been taught at Harrow. Um, as, as part of that process of, of future-proofing the curriculum, um, you shared with us in Dallas how you conducted a no-assumptions curriculum review, which to me seems like an enormous undertaking. Um, can you share with us, you know, what did that entail? Where did it come from? And, and, and you know, how are you seeing that play out? Yeah, so we were, we were always proud of what we were doing with the curriculum uh, throughout 27, 20, uh, 2017, 2018, and moving into 2019. But we we were keen to remain reflective and just make sure that we were doing what was best for our boys. Um, so, and we, and we were aware, as Hannah suggested, that the world that the boys were going to enter is changing. Um, the job market is changing. It's harder to get graduate um, jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we conducted this no assumptions curriculum review it really was uh, no assumptions we started from the ground up um, and we were keen to see whether or not we were um, providing the boys with the correct qualifications whether we were focusing on the correct skills whether we were focusing on uh, the correct university preparation and provision um, and also looking at technology and the effects of globalization so um, what did that sort of look like in practice well three of us um, it was quite quite fun actually. Three of us um, spent um, very very many days going out to different stakeholders and trying to get different insights, uh, wisdom, perspectives from uh, different colleagues, parents, um, boys, old Herovians, so our old boys network as well, 
um, and those in industry. So we visited um, banking, uh, the banking sector, politics, accountancy, um, and also um, to the technology sector, which was particularly interesting. Um, we spent some days in the Google and Facebook offices. Um, and so all of these different stakeholders, we, we basically asked them, what do you want from our boys? What qualifications do you want? What skills do you want? Um, and uh, what knowledge what knowledge do you want from our boys? And based on all of that, we put together, uh, It was a, in the end, it was a 30,000 word report um, that we then presented to our governing body here and to other colleagues in September 2020. And we then put together a curriculum review implementation group in 2020 to try and see how we could take these findings and then apply them to our curriculum in time for a workable curriculum uh, for September 2021. So um, it really was a sort of 18-month project. As I said, it was it was fun. It was very interesting. Um, we involved a lot of different stakeholders, um, uh, but it was also very affirming. Uh, I think we'll talk about that a bit later on, but some of the changes we made were, were changes that I think we were considering already before we started embarking on that curriculum review. So the results, as I understand it, of this curriculum review was the development of what you have termed Curriculum 2025, and I, I'm sure that refers to sort of the, the target dates of the full implementation of, of these um, changes. But I think it's really important for us to understand, especially as we think about how boys learn best, what are some of the foundational philosophies of this new curriculum? Yeah, so Curriculum 2025 was a, we, we were talking about the curriculum in terms of curriculum review for a very long time. We, uh, we decided that at some point we've got to stop calling it a review and start, start naming it something. So we, we moved to Curriculum 2025 because the, the first boys that would experience this uh, newly framed curriculum would leave the school in 2025. Uh, and in our minds would leave the school well equipped to, to enter into this ever-changing world. I think our, one of our foundational philosophies on the academic side of, of school life at Harrow has always been uh, academic breadth. Um, we think it's important that the boys have complete academic choice. Um, and to that, to that extent, the, the um, programme we offer is, is quite liberal. Um, we have boys that might do two STEM subjects and a humanities subject and, and art or music, for example. So we really wanted to, to keep that. Um, but we, we did appreciate that we probably needed to ensure that the younger boys in the school needed more interdisciplinary opportunities, um, opportunities to move away from just focusing on different academic disciplines in silos. They're not just studying their history, their chemistry, their geography. They can see how these different subjects are linked. Um, and to a certain extent, you know, we are, we are limited by what, it, what the expectations are for education in this country at the moment, where subjects are taught separately. Um, so, so that became a foundational philosophy, interdisciplinarity, along with this liberal uh, um, education. Um, and then we were keen to also ensure that boys, irrespective of the path that they chose through the school, the academic path, um, would leave the school with three key literacies. So social, cognitive and digital literacies. And, and these were uh, three literacies that were um, distilled from the curriculum review, from our findings, from that exercise we performed in the previous year. So that those are the, the key um, foundational philosophies, I think. So, so under, you know, as those philosophies underpin your um, your new curriculum or these curriculum changes, how have these impacted in 
sort of reality, the academic endeavors of Herovians? You know, what, what kind of new innovations and new things or courses have you introduced into the Harrow learning path? So, so that was the question that all our colleagues wanted to know the answer to, because I think there was perhaps a slight fear that we'd, we'd tear out the rule book and say, right, we're starting again, we're doing different qualifications, we're going to have to prepare lots of new resources and, and so on. Um, that, that wasn't the case. Um, we At Harrow, we've always offered uh, GCSEs, which is a, um, a qualification for those in year 11, so 15 and 16-year-olds, and A-levels, uh, qualification for the 18-year-olds leaving the school. Um, and one thing that came out of our curriculum review was that those in industry particularly believe that A-levels remain a gold standard qualification. We did consider the um, International Baccalaureate as well, um, but we, we, we felt that A-levels remain the gold standard, particularly um, internationally. Um, so, so those stayed the same, but what we did uh, attempt to do was try to embed the three literacies that I just mentioned into the curriculum. So in terms of cognitive literacies, we looked at different uh, department schemes of work um, and looked to see whether there were areas where we could um, improve the boys' access to critical thinking, to problem solving, uh, creativity and innovation. Uh, with social literacy, we've, we've sought to uh, discover more opportunities for the boys to um, have leadership opportunities, um, to reflect on the values of democracy um, and ethics. And then digital literacy, which is actually an area we're focusing on this year, ensuring that boys are having those skills um, in coding, in data analysis, and in interpretation. And I'll talk more about that in a, in a second. Um, those three literacies we also mapped onto um, a new program that we introduced uh, to the school called the Harrow Diploma, uh, which is a credits-based qualification that boys leave with. Um, so they leave the school with their A-levels, and they also leave the school with a Harrow Diploma, which is accredited by um, a local university here in the UK. And boys gain the diploma um, through taking these um, elective courses. So courses that are unexamined, um, they're courses that are put on by our colleagues in areas of expertise by our colleagues. Um, so last year we had um, a, an elective on Antarctica, on psychology. Um, we've had electives on the, the chemistry of cooking, um, all manner of things. Um, uh, the history of the vampire in literature was one that was particularly popular with some of the boys. Um, I can imagine. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and they gain credits for, for taking these courses. What we think is quite innovative is the boys don't have to take the courses all the time. So they choose when they take the courses and they choose when they opt out of the courses, depending on how busy they are. So if they're very busy with first 15 rugby this term or they're in a school play next term, they might choose to opt out of the program. Um, but then they'll know they've got to get more credits at, at a later point in their school career. And the reason we did that um, was because we want to prepare them for university and the working world where you do need to prioritize and manage your time. Um, we also, for our younger boys, I mentioned interdisciplinarity earlier, we introduced a series of academic conferences for our, our year nine boys, our 13 year olds. Um, so we take them off timetable uh, three times a year and they're given a, a problem, a problem that's affecting um, our world at the moment. So last year we gave them the, the problem of, of climate change and the environment um, and they're then expected to reflect on the problem that, that we've given them, come up with solutions to that problem based on their curricular studies, and then present, the, present their solutions to that problem uh, to an external audience. Uh, and we're planning in the future that those problems will change. So we might look at 
antibiotic resistance. We might look at knife crime, which unfortunately is an issue in, in London here. Um, and, and as I said, those problems will change um, as the issues change um, in the world. I mentioned digital literacy. We're looking at the way in which we're using physical spaces uh, in the school. Um, we're moving away from traditional classrooms um, and instead we're creating these, these teaching and learning hubs uh, within the school. We've just created a pilot um, version of that um, where there, there is an emphasis on uh, the use of technology, on writable services, on modular furniture, um, just to kind of move away from the chalk and talk style of teaching. So there, there's a lot that there's a lot there, um, some of which I can probably unpack in a bit more detail, but um, we're making a, a lot of changes. Um, but hopefully changes that will be impactful to our boys by the time they leave the school in 2025. Thanks so much for sharing there, Charles. I can imagine those um, those modules are, are really exciting and vibrant spaces to be in, um, simply because you're giving that freedom of choice. I, uh, I love how that model itself just, I think, prepares boys for what they're going to face outside of outside of school. Hannah, it seems like Charles has got sort of some of the easy things <laughs> and I'm going to ask you about the challenges because I'm sure, I'm sure as you went through this process, um, as you've introduced this um, new curriculum um, and, uh, you know, there will always be challenges. And, and so what are some of those things that have, that have challenged um, you, your school, your members of staff as you, as you adopt this new approach to preparing boys to be future ready. Mm. I don't just to pick up on, on what you were saying there about this, the, the, the buy-in from the staff was actually really positive with this idea that doing the electives where you're able to, to impart something you're really passionate about to the boys. You're not just Hannah teaching Latin and Greek, but then you're able to um, give an elective on, um, on, French jazz or something. So, so for that side of things, it it, it wasn't a, a wasn't a hard sell. I suppose that the tricky thing is that it's so straightforward to prepare somebody for an end goal to teach to a syllabus specification or a, you know in an endpoint exam. But preparing a boy to be future ready, of course, is it, it, intrinsically challenging. Um, and I guess it goes back to this idea that you've only got to look at how much the world has changed in the past 50 years to see that people are doing the jobs jobs now that were inconceivable then. And that's going to continue, isn't it? So our boys are going to see so much innovation and change over the span of their working lives. Um, and I guess the, the things are even more different for them as movement between careers is going to be so much more fluid than, than it is for us. And that graduate landscape, in essence, looks so different, doesn't it, and, um, for them than it did for most of us, their teachers. Um, so we really want to make sure we um, equip them with a sort of rigorous academic grounding, but also um, to ensure that they're, I suppose, socially and emotionally strong. And I sort of see that as making sure that we nurture their sort of the two sides of their brain, I guess, that, that, that uh, um, we're... The, the academic side and then socially and emotional side as well um, and I guess that's realising that EQ is is increasingly is just as important as as, as IQ I suppose um, so we know that those with sort of highly developed emotional intelligence are, are, are better leaders and, and performers um, and, and I suppose one of the big anxieties also was then that following the COVID pandemic with increasing numbers of people 
working from home, the graduate job market is now open to to everybody, not just for people who come to interview from your town, isn't it? So jobs are accessible um, to to many people who work remotely. So underpinning it all is that realisation our boys have got to stand out in an increasingly competitive market. I think so often when when we um, are in organisations like schools, it's so easily just to sort of focus on the microcosm of the moments, you know, the four walls of our own institutions. But you've also provided opportunity for your boys um, to collaborate with other schools. And I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you ensure your boys gain opportunities for academic collaboration with other schools. And I mean, th- th- this is a challenge because, of course, as soon as you start trying to do something with another school, it's bound to be the case that your timetables aren't going to work <laughs> and and that you're going to have to, are you going to lose uh, co-curricular time? Are you going to lose sport time? Is orchestra going to be impacted or are you going to lose academic time? So Charles and I, have, there's inevitably been lots of negotiations around um, you know that side of things. That's a certain, certain challenge. Um, but with us being at Harrow, a full boarding school, it's it's so important that our boys get opportunities to, to work with pupils from, from other schools. And we really appreciate that positive role that collaboration and, and debate plays, I suppose, in, in creating intellectual stimulus and challenge and chiming with those main tenets of the curriculum review that Charles was referring to we wanted to make sure we could provide some fora for, for our boys to develop those three key literacies that he's alluded to and to develop those life skills of learning how to listen to others um, and that ease of speaking in public. Um, so we developed links with uh, a nearby girls' school and we, at the moment, run a symposium for Year 10 and for Lower Six. Um, and the way we went about that, picking up Charles's interdisciplinarity point is that we chose an overarching topic and then they would approach it from different angles so the year 10 one at the moment is focused on bees um, we've got uh, one group looking at the social structures within a beehive um, we've got another looking at how bees have been used throughout history as an emblem so uh, anglo-saxons um, romans egyptians celts and, and napoleon who had this bee emblem um, and another's coming at it from mathematical standpoint of the, the shape of uh, inside the hive. Um, and another's looking at Shakespeare's use of bees as a symbol of human hierarchy in, in his history plays. Um, we've even managed to weave in an economics angle um, with looking at honey production in Nigeria. Um, and so the way we do that, each group has a mentor and they meet uh, a bit in person, a bit online. Um, And we're going to conclude that project with a dinner. So there's a social angle too, which sits nicely alongside the academic endeavours. And Charles and I actually just yesterday, we were talking about how um, we we make a point of teaching them how to give a, um, a, a decent presentation and making sure they've got the skills so that we're not just saying off you go and, and, and give a presentation at the end where we, we set it up and lead into that quite nicely um, and then the um, lower six one it's a sort of similar 
um, set up, but they have a grander venue. So last summer we were at the Royal Society in London with the girls, and um, that topic was was gender, like you've never seen it before was the title. And um, I don't, one of the examples there was they looked at the portrayal of the hermaphroditus myth in classical literature and art and Renaissance. Um, so I mean, going back to that idea of making the boys real world ready, there's no doubt in our mind that engaging with the with girls in a pretty hotly contested, I mean, albeit you know, good humoured, but a, a hotly contested academic debate is really healthy and it's got to be a healthier take than a sort of dreaded social disco with a local sex school. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's what, uh, that's really wonderful to hear. And I, I just, um, uh, I'm as excited as I was when I was in your presentation, um, just listening to what your boys are able to experience. And I'm sure that there are people who are listening, Charles, who are either currently going through the process or reevaluating a past process or thinking about shifting the way they do things and particularly around the question of, of um, helping their boys be real world ready. Uh, you know, I wonder as, as a school that has gone through this process and is now has now implemented um, this new curriculum and a redesigned curriculum, that meets the needs of the modern boy, what advice might you have um, for those schools who are wanting to do something similar, obviously contextually relevant for them, but a, a similar thinking through and unpacking of what they're doing and what they can be doing? Mm. I, I, as you say, it will, it will depend on the context, but a, a, few, a few thoughts um, for, for other colleagues maybe. I think collaborating with just as many different stakeholders as possible is absolutely key. Um, I mean, some some of the the biggest takeaways we took from the curriculum review were um, sort of passing remarks or asides that that really resonated or caught our attention. Um, I remember holding a kind of panel discussion with a, a group of old boys, um, all of whom were in their sort of early thirties, and I went into it not knowing how you know how much of their school school days they would remember. Um, but their reflections were very vivid um, and really had an interesting impact on what we thought of our own curriculum and how we might take it forward. Um, I think another reflection on that stakeholders point is that um, those who are working in industry in these different uh, sectors are keen to help schools and they are keen to help universities because they do want the best graduates possible uh, coming into the workplace. And I think they are also aware that that some um, some colleagues that they might employ might might not be as equipped as they they would like. So they're keen to be involved in that uh, in that feedback loop. Um, I think another another piece of advice I'd pass on is in any kind of recruitment materials when you're looking to recruit new teachers, um, talking about the exciting things that you're doing in your curriculum I think is is important because you want to employ colleagues that agree with the academic philosophy of that school. Uh, it's not to say that one philosophy is better than another, but you do want people to be on the same page and we all need to be moving in the same direction to support our boys where, where possible. Um, I think the final thing I'd say is that it, it's, it's almost certainly the case that most schools' current curricula are, are effectively preparing the boys for the real world. I think that, that's the nature of, the, of, of schools. They are reflective places. But probably the challenge is allowing boys to 
um, appreciate that and then be able to articulate the skills they are learning in an interview context or when they go up to university. So I think if you focus on the curriculum review as a way to allow a school to reflect on how to, to support these boys um, in articulating these skills when they leave, I, I think that can only be a good thing. Um, but I, I, I definitely recommend it. It was a, it was a, a very inspiring uh, and professionally fulfilling thing to do. I want to thank you both for sharing your insights. And I'm also in the show notes going to link to your presentation that you shared already um, in Dallas, in Texas. And uh, I'm sure if people want to reach out and, and ask you a question or two, you'd be more than willing to share some expertise. But um, it's been wonderful to talk to, to both of you today. And I want to um, thank you again for, for just uh, you know sharing so much of of what you have done. And and I know both of you are heading into a half-term break. So uh, I know teachers enjoy that bit of downtime away from the busyness of schools. So trust you'll both have a wonderful break too. Thanks for joining me, Hannah. Thanks, Charles, for your input too. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for having us. A thought-provoking conversation with our colleagues at Harrow. And I'm sure this has prompted in many of you a consideration of how you might prepare boys for a life of service, learning, leadership and fulfillment in your own context. So thanks again to Charles and Hannah for contributing to our shared learning about boys. Again, thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy exploring boys' education, please rate the podcast on your favorite platform or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're new to exploring boys' education, why not look through our previous episodes and listen to some of the stimulating conversations we've had over the years. Until our next episode, keep on championing boys' education.